grass and some blossoms. Well, it's, it's frankly unbelievable. Now, I went to Minnesota with a firm commitment to my wife that I wasn't going to complain about the weather, about the snow, but the Lord really tested my commitment. It <laughs> snowed and it snowed and it snowed. Of course, I, remind, I was reminded of my years at uh, Northland Baptist Bible College where uh, it wasn't a surprise if, you know, you had some flurries right before graduation, but still, it's been a few decades, so it took some getting used to, if one ever becomes used to something like that. <laughs> Anyway, love to see the grass, love to see the blossoms, and it's a privilege to be with you here um, this morning. Uh, Part of the family's with me. The older two are wrapping up, what is it, must be one more week left of uh, finals at Bob Jones. Uh, The two youngest are with us, Uh, but we are looking forward to uh, spending uh, at least some of the summer together in uh, New Jersey, where we'll be based out of, so we're very much looking forward to, to that. Um, if you want to open your Bibles and start looking for Second Timothy chapter two, we'll share more next hour about what it is um, the Lord is, has us pursuing by His grace. But it's been a process and a lengthy process. Um, in a few months back, I don't know, it may be a year now. You lose track of time. But a few months ago, I was researching a missionary training program that's offered in Mexico. It's offered for North Americans. It's, uh, I think, a year-long program. And it teaches people to go to difficult parts of the world, learn a language, start a business, and then learn a second language to the target people they want to serve, start a church, and anyway, a 25- to 30-year church planting cycle in the difficult places of the world. So I was checking them out. Um, I wanted to learn more about what they did. And, of course, initially I was confused. I thought they were in Mexico preparing South Americans to go to the mission field. Uh, but I, I was very interested when I, when I came to the organization's website. Um, it's, it's popular nowadays not just to talk about mission and vision, but, the, but a lot of organizations, they, they talk also in terms of core values. What are the important uh, things that set them apart? and guide them on their way. Anyway, the drop-down menu, core values, what caught my eye, because I'd never seen it before, this particular organization on its list of core values had suffering is normative. In other words, this idea that suffering um, in a missionary context is par for the course. It is to be expected. It is never to be a surprise. You should bank on it. Well, that's unusual because at least... For myself, I'd never seen that as a core value on anything, anywhere. Suffering is normative. So obviously the question I ask myself when it comes to cross-cultural ministry, going to a different place, or ministry in general, should hardship then be the norm or something exceptional? In other words, I'm talking about my expectations. As I go out and serve, what should be in the back of my mind? Is it mostly smooth sailing with an occasional storm? Or is suffering normative, to be expected and par for the course? And I I wouldn't want to leave anyone out today. I don't want to talk to just a few particular people. So as I think about all of us, and I would imagine our desire to live a consecrated Christian life, I, I think the question also can be asked, should suffering be something exceptional, or should it also be normative? Should it be par for the course? Now, 
The Bible uses several metaphors that help us understand um, the Christian life and the Christian experience. So the Bible sometimes speaks of us as sons, sometimes as sheep, sometimes as servants or slaves, branches, athletes, farmers, and soldiers. And it's this last metaphor, this metaphor of the soldier that I'd like to share about briefly this morning. Tying it in with this idea or this question, is the normal consecrated Christian life a life of ease and comfort, or is it a life of hardship? None of that excludes joy, but we'll get to that in a bit. So I want to meditate this morning on the soldier metaphor. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to focus in on two verses, but just so we have context... Let's go ahead and read uh, verses 1 through 13. And, um, and I know this is probably not typical, but would someone with a, with a loud voice, uh, good uh, lungs, good projection, uh, do me the favor of standing up and reading verses uh, 1 through 13. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 13. And if not, we'll eventually find a volunteer. It's no big deal. <laughs> I'm not traumatized by those things. Yes, sir, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, brother. That was excellent. Let's pray. Good Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to go to your word and to consider things as they are, as you've revealed them to be. Help us uh, to have tender hearts, willingness to reconsider our views, our values, and our decisions, and help us give us the grace to obey. In Christ's name, amen. Let me read verses 3 and 4 again, because that's where I want us to focus on. Thou therefore endure hardness, or hardship, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him 
to be a soldier. These are the verses I primarily want to consider this morning as we meditate on this metaphor of the Christian life, the metaphor of the the soldier. And we want to consider in what ways the dedicated Christian life or ministry resembles the the life of a dedicated, committed uh, soldier. So in this context, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to his younger co-worker, Timothy. Uh, Paul is imprisoned at this point. He's getting ready to lay down his life. He, know that he knows there's, that there's very little time left. But you don't catch even a, a glimpse of um, uh, concern for himself in this letter. His, his, his only concern is, is to encourage his spiritual son and get him ready to uh, continue serving with devotion until the end of, of his race as well. So the letter emphasizes this idea of being faithful in the face of adversity, of difficult and challenging times. So Paul doesn't want Timothy to shrink from from it. He wants him, in a real sense, to embrace it. Um, The command that we have in in verse 1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, is this idea of being strengthened, of being strong, but the key there is grace. Not in my own strength, but what in the Lord Jesus provides. And, and that command makes sense then when you look at verses 2 and 3, because the assignment is, is intense. It's, it's overwhelming. It's humanly speaking impossible. So we have that, that well-known verse in, in verse 2, this idea of his obligation to commit truth to a new generation. That sounds like something easy to do. It is not. Therefore, verse 1, be supernaturally strengthened to carry this out. And then the idea of of, of verse uh, 3, this this idea of being strengthened for for what he must must do. Uh, So able to teach others, able to endure uh, difficulty. So he had to be supernaturally uh, strengthened in order to do this. To prepare a new generation and to pay the price that had to be paid. Now, there's some important words I'd like to single out here. The first is this idea of endure hardness that we find in verse 3. Not that we worry about etymology a lot, the source of words, but there's actually, that's a compound word in the original language, three different words making it up, not, not just two, but three. It's the, uh, the words with, evil, suffer, with, evil suffer. So the idea is that far from avoiding hardships, Timothy would participate with Paul in suffering in those uh, difficulties. It's, it's the idea of suffer with me, but it's suffer willingly with me. Endure willingly with me and don't shrink from it. So it's suffer hardship with me. And there's a very real sense when I think about that. Faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ, they're part of a fellowship. Uh, In other words, they have a common experience. It's a fellowship that's formed by hardships, but they're hardships that advance the proclamation of the true gospel. In other words, they're not self-inflicted hardships. It's a crazy person who goes around looking to... um, to, to, to endure needlessly hardship. I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about a fellowship that's formed 
by soldiers of Jesus Christ who endure hardship, but they do so intentionally for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of their Lord. That is something, of course, very different. And then in verse 4, we have the word entangleth or entangles. And I think we all understand that. There's an interesting word picture uh, when the original word is used in the contemporary literature of the time. Sometimes it was used for a sheep that got a little careless, got too close to the thorns, and got entangled, slowed down, trapped, can't get out. And I think that's, a, that's kind of an interesting word picture. So an entangled disciple or an entangled soldier of Jesus Christ is someone who's been slowed down, he's been hindered, or he's been outright trapped. Um, so that's an interesting and vivid word that we can keep in mind. And then we have this idea in, uh, in verse 4. Uh, the one who entangles himself, he avoids that, so that he may please. And that's a straightforward word that we still use today in the very same way. But Paul uses it a lot, and he uses it in different contexts. So an option, an alternative, is pleasing the master, pleasing my general, thinking in soldier's terms. But Paul uses it in other places. So, for example, in Galatians 1.10, he, he, he pleads with the Galatians. He tells them, if I was still trying to seek the approval of man, uh, would I be a servant of Jesus Christ? Or is it indeed that, that I honor him? So yes, the question there, do you really think I'm about pleasing men? Is that what you're seeing? So that's an alternative. Paul sometimes speaks of pleasing in the context of pleasing men. And then in, in Romans 8, he, he says these words. He says, those who are in the flesh, they can't please God. In other words, there's this element of pleasing God or pleasing myself as well. So Paul uses this word please in different contexts. The, the, the pitfall of, of living my life to please others, the pitfall of living my life to please myself, or the obligation as a good soldier of pleasing he who commissioned me. So these are some interesting, important phrases. And this idea of pleasing the master, <clears throat> it stands in stark contrast to the idea of pleasing others, or pleasing myself. It's the opposite. It's the alternative. So there's two ideas that I just want to share this morning. They're simple ideas, and I think they flow naturally from these verses 3 and 4 that we've already looked at. The first idea is this idea that we need to understand the times we're living in. We need to understand our situation, and we need to um, adjust our expectations to meet the times that we are living. I think sometimes we forget, at least from a biblical perspective, of what times we are living in. And because our expectations are formed with other ideas, uh, we get unsettled and we get upset because we're expecting something other than what the Scriptures told us as good soldiers to expect. And I think that that's not insignificant. So let me get down to it. We have to understand the times we're living in. And I'm looking at verse 3, where it says that we're supposed to share in suffering. We're supposed to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to shirk our duty and responsibility. But, but I guess what I would have to say as I examine my own heart, and as I take stock of some of our frustrations with the times we're living in, I, I think it's fair to say that we're often tempted to live as if we're living in times of, of peace, 
in which we should basically expect a, a solid measure of material prosperity. We should expect serenity and we should expect comfort. But my question would be whether those expectations line up with the expectations of Scripture. That would be my question. Now, I, I realize that politically, um, we are not um, in anywhere near to the situation that, for example, is being experienced in Sudan right now or is, is being uh, experienced in Ukraine. You, you ask folks there uh, what's going on and what are your expectations. They're totally conditioned by war. But that seems so remote, so far away. That seems to have so little to do with our situation. But my question is, in light of Scripture, does it? Is it an accurate representation, that expectation that we have that, that things are mostly at peace and I should mostly expect good times? My contention would be that Paul, he understood that our situation is much more like that of soldiers living in times of war. That's what he expected, and that's what he wanted Timothy to expect. It's recorded for us in the inspired Scripture, and so I would argue that it should be in great deal what we should expect as well. If we are committed soldiers and followers of Jesus Christ, whatever the place the Lord may have put us in. So he says to Timothy, share in suffering, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness is what he says there in verse 3. So let's meditate on this idea. Now he had already told them, um, we're not finding these words for the first time. He had, he had written similar words already in 1 Timothy, and actually in 2 Timothy, in chapter 1, he had already mentioned some of the, the very same things. So, so in verse 8 of 2 Timothy 1, be, thou, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us, given us in Jesus Christ Jesus before the world began. So he's already basically told them the same thing in chapter 1. He's already uh, shared similar ideas in 1 Timothy before we get to this text in, in chapter 2 of, of 2 Timothy. So in this section uh, 8 and 9 of verse 1, we notice that, that we share in suffering or we have soldier experiences when we're not ashamed of giving testimony of our Lord, when we don't shrink from our duty to share biblical truth and to be a witness uh, to, the, to the gospel. So in other words, when we faithfully live the gospel and when we faithfully proclaim the gospel, we're asking for a measure of trouble. And that's okay. It's to be expected. It's the duty of a good, loyal servant of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about rudely going out and offending as many people as possible, as if that's going to secure us some kind of brownie points with our Lord. But I am saying that when we faithfully live and proclaim the gospel, we should expect a measure of resistance. And that's okay. The other thing is, is that in, in verse 9, we, we have this beautiful reminder of the fact that the gospel message is a gospel of grace and not of works. The gospel of Jesus Christ is according to his grace, and therefore it's an absolute rejection of our good works. Now, Paul says that very clearly in, in other passages, but, but let me read for you Titus 3, 
verses 4 through 7. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So I come by every two, three, four years. I see many familiar faces, but I don't know all of you. And I can't believe that, um, that I should just assume that you all understand what is meant by grace and what is meant by gospel. So if I could just briefly in a capsule zero in on this idea of grace as opposed to works and, and righteous things we could do. With a reminder that, that God works the salvation of rebellious women and rebellious men by means of his, of his mercy. Um, it's impossible for sinful man to perform good works that will justify him before a perfectly holy God. That's just not going to happen. Um, so, so if there was anyone here this morning that was trusting in their accumulated good works of, of righteousness... Um, that somehow that's going to absolve you on the day of judgment when, when you meet your maker, um, then, then I would just plead with you to, to understand that you've, that you've underestimated the extent of your offenses against God and that your, your only alternative is, is to repent and to turn to, to the Savior Jesus. And, and he alone can give you the righteousness that, that you need. This is the gospel of grace this is the gospel of mercy for which we are expected as good soldiers and loyal soldiers to faithfully live and proclaim wherever it is God has, has put us. It is equally your responsibility as much as it is my responsibility as it is anyone who, who may be, a, if there's such a thing as an ordinary member of a local church and a pastor of a local church. It is our good duty as soldiers of Jesus Christ. So this idea of suffering hardship and difficulty as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, what, what I'm basically trying to argue, uh, brothers and sisters, it doesn't, it doesn't make much sense if we're living in times of peace. This is what I'm trying to say in, in simple words. The, the idea of suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if we're living in times of peace and our expectations are of Comforts, prosperity, and serenity. You can't reconcile them. So, um, the metaphor in the scriptures, it, it breaks down, and Paul's commandment doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If we're living in times of peace, and he's talking about soldiering, hardship, and war. Um, what I would remind us of is that Paul, his whole ministry, not just these verses, you can see that Paul suffered like a soldier. You can't debate that. That's the clear evidence of a big chunk of, of the New Testament. We don't just see it in verses 8 through 13. Um, we see it in other places like at the end of this letter where he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. So his, his whole vision of his life and his ministry 
is in terms of warfare and being a loyal soldier to to him who saved him and who, who commissioned him. And then if you just want to look at Timothy, Paul's encouraging him to continue in that idea, but that's the testimony of Timothy's life as well. He suffered like a soldier. If we look at Hebrews 13, it looks like he, like Paul, ended up in prison because of his testimony and his ministry as a faithful soldier. Paul had already charged him at the end of 1 Timothy to fight the good fight, to take hold of eternal life. Uh, Those are very military uh, orders and commands from someone who was watching out for him. So that's my contention. And my basic question is, is as follows. Are things just different today? Like, that's all good and well for Paul, but are things just fundamentally different today? And obviously, culturally and circumstances, they are different. But as far as uh, the Christian life, uh, does, does the metaphor still apply? Have I still been purchased? Do I still owe loyalty to my general, um, my Lord? Um, that, that would be the question, and as, and as I meditate upon it, it's what, what causes me concern as I look at my own heart and... Um, you know, some days I wake up and I, I have things just very clear. You know, my general has ordered commands to go. I'm going. And, and some days, honestly, it's just not that easy. And, and some days, uh, you know, it's great. I'm willing to go there, but I'm not willing to speak up right here when I had an opportunity to be a faithful witness uh, for the gospel. So, so we have this disconnect. We, we aren't living in times of peace, but we refuse or we just can't bring ourselves to embrace a, a wartime mentality. In fact, what I see is that we, we avoid, at all costs, suffering. We have expectations of this life that, that aren't consistent uh, with what the Bible challenges us to embrace. So we shy away from gospel risk, and that can happen right here or at another end of the world. Um, we want no part of austerity and sacrifice. Um, and when I say we, I am really talking about me. I am not leaving myself out of the equation by any means. We want comfort, we want peace of mind, and we want guarantees. After all, there's insurance for everything. Now, there's a a well-known pastor who's written a lot of books. He wrote a book on missions, which is kind of interesting because he's never been a missionary. His name is John Piper. I can't endorse him. But his book on missions, even though he wasn't a missionary, he hit some things right on the head. So somehow, I don't know if he... He traveled widely or if it's just biblical. But he talked, for example, about our problem when it comes to prayer. That one of the ways we see that we think we're living in times of peace is by the way we go about praying. And he used a great illustration. He talked about the fact that prayer, for many of us, is kind of this intercom. We're in the den, and we use the intercom so that from upstairs they'll send us down the comforts we need, the snacks we want, uh, adjust the thermostat or whatever the case may be. And when he says that because life is to be understood as war, it's really more like an intercom where you're calling in reinforcements, you're, you're asking them to bring down a barrage of, of firepower to eliminate the enemy as, as you're moving forward in wartime. So it's the difference between an intercom in the den uh, versus being on the front line and using a walkie-talkie to call in reinforcements. Anyway, that's just a a symptom. But what what I'm saying is, I I think we we encounter things in this life 
And we respond to those things based on our expectations of this life. So I can think of many cases in which God wants us to be faithful right where he's put us. Right where he's put us. And he doesn't want us to move an inch. But what I'm talking about is, is, is what happens when perhaps something radical, your son or your grandson, says that they want to go to a horrible place uh, around the world and, and raise their children there far away from you. Well, what I'm saying is, in those moments, you, you, you would, be, would be one of those cases where you, where you would realize what your expectations for this life are. Now, I would blame you if initially you don't get very excited about that. But what I'm saying is, if, you expect, if you're thinking of this life in terms of peace, then you expect one set of alternatives. And if you're looking at this life in terms of being war, you have a different set of expectations. So even while you might lament the fact that your son or your grandson is, is going to some place that's not going to allow you to, to see your family much or that interaction, the fact that it's war makes you look at it one way. And if you're thinking in terms of peacetime, you look at it a completely different way. That's what I'm trying to say. So that's the first idea. The idea that we have to... Um, we have to understand the times we're living in. And the second idea is very simple. It's in verse 4. And it's this idea that, first of all, we need to understand that we're living not in times of peace, but in times of war. And second, the need to untangle ourselves. So the verse there, 4, Nor man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a, a soldier. So if we are soldiers, if we are in times of war, if we can accept that, that that's the perspective that we have from Paul and from the scriptures, then it follows that we can't afford to become entangled like that sheep in the thorns with, with distractions. Instead, we have, to, we have to please the one who rescued us and the one who commissioned us to serve. Um, that, that's what's at stake. So a good soldier, I, I would imagine, um, is someone who, who's known for his complete commitment to the cause. That, that in my mind, would be a, a fairly good definition of what a good soldier uh, would be. He responds to orders. He goes where he's sent. He leaves what he must. And he soldiers on without the comforts that are the normal experience for a civilian. A civilian has one set of expectations. A soldier has a different set of, of expectations. So we know it's not possible to avoid the affairs of life, right? In the world, not of the world. He hasn't taken us out yet. There are things uh, that we're responsible for, and we need to live wisely during this time. But the idea here, um, brothers and sisters, is the idea of entanglement. It's not that we don't have a relationship with the affairs of this life. It's about entanglement. That is, devoting so much time so much concern and so much energy to other pursuits that we end up devolving into distracted, half-hearted soldiers. There's the problem. Entanglement. So on the first hand, the idea is what are your expectations? Are you expecting peace or are you expecting war? And secondly, it's your relationship to the affairs of this life. Is it the necessary wise handling of the affairs of life? Or do we dedicate so much time and energy to these things that we become half-hearted, poor, disloyal servants, uh, soldiers of, of Jesus Christ? So this reminds me of, of what probably is the single most encouraging 
um, interaction of Jesus Christ in the New Testament when it, when it comes to, I think, to any, any missionary. Okay, so, so text like, like Mark 10, when, when Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler, I think, um, I think most missionaries at some point or another end up gaining strength for the battle from, from this interaction of, of Jesus with, with the rich young, young ruler. So the rich young ruler, his, his riches and his wealth had become an entanglement. But that wasn't the only alternative. See, it, the, the problem wasn't with his riches. They could have been a vehicle. They could have been a way to serve the needy and to worship his master. But they had become to him an entanglement. And that was a grave, grave problem. So Jesus loved him. I love the text that says that. Looking at him, he loved him. Jesus loved him and urged him to disentangle himself. But ultimately, at least from what we read, he couldn't bring himself to do it. He could not break loose. Therefore, he could not become a Jesus follower. He could not become a loyal soldier. Of course, what I'm talking about, the reassurance for all those who have avoided entanglement, we read in, in Mark uh, chapter 10, Peter asks, okay, so um, we've left everything. Unlike this rich young ruler, what, what can we expect? Um, we've, given it, we've given it all up. In Mark 10, verse 28, Jesus addresses him. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first will, shall be last, and the last first. So the question I think becomes is, is to please the one who commissioned you as a soldier, what pursuits, perhaps not bad in and of themselves, would you have to untangle yourself from? Now, I can only speak for myself, and I think it's best that I just limit it to that. God has graciously called me to serve, but my loyalty often wavers. And I wake up many mornings a coward uh, because it just seems too much which it is too much, uh, but it's this whole process every day of remembering it's too much. Without his grace, it can't be done, and clinging to the one who's given the orders but supplies what is needed, etc., etc. So that's a daily pursuit many times for myself. Uh, family, can anyone doubt? We have biblical evidence to back it that family is a wonderful blessing. It absolutely is. No doubt about it. Um. But I have to tell you, I'm, I'm not looking forward uh, to the four of us that are still with the two at home. I'm not looking forward um, to us being the only ones on a different continent. From my parents, my brothers and sisters, who even though I never saw them, they're all in South America. Extended family in North America. Um, us being the only ones that are on a different continent is going to be something uh, novel. And something that feels real to me in ways that uh, our previous travels... They've never, um, they've never scared me in, in a similar way. But what does the master say? What does the master tell his disciples? Well, he tells them, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So even something good can become an entanglement when the master gives orders and we're called to obey. And our greatest love is meant to subdue other loves for good things. Um, I think we're all human beings prone to wander. I think we all struggle in some of the same ways. So I don't think it takes a great deal of imagination for you to put yourself in my shoes and imagine how much I long for a comfortable journey through life. Don't you? Comfortable journey through life with as little hardship as possible, with as many comforts and satisfactions and blessings as possible. Um, And yet the master says in that very same section in Matthew 10, whoever doesn't take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And that's not the cross that's imposed. That's take it. Take it, embrace it, serve me, follow me. And I'll admit something I I often struggle with. I have a brother-in-law who wishes that uh, in this world we live in, plumbers were taken more seriously. Um, And I understand him. And sometimes I've had to share that I'm a missionary and I wish missionaries were taken more seriously too. It's it's not prestigious in the eyes of men, is it? Maybe in your context it is. But on the average airplane, when I tell someone that I'm a missionary, it is not a prestigious vocation. And I have to admit that many times I wish I was doing something that in the eyes of men was held in greater esteem. But my master says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's what he says about that particular thing. So is it terrible to have a prestigious profession and to be seen um, admired in the eyes of men? Not, Not in and of itself, but it can easily become an idol and get in the way. So soldier, what's got you bogged down? If I could just close by reminding you that there is joy and there is real reward in serving Jesus and taking things seriously in fighting to maintain the perspective that we're at war, not in times of peace, and that I cannot afford as a good soldier to become entangled, but I must pursue the orders given by my master. Real joy in times of real war. That's the reality as Paul portrays it in these scriptures. And if I could just say another quick thing. These are not concerns just for Christian leaders like Paul and Timothy or some crazy people that decide to leave this wonderful country and go somewhere else where it's not so wonderful. And that is the expectation in the very next chapter. It reminds us that everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will have difficulty. This is a promise or a guarantee, however you want to look at it. Let that sink in. This is what is expected. So this, those two ideas. Understand the times we're living in. That means remaining on a war footing until we're done and until we're home. So we're not to confuse things. Home is, is still future. Home is far more wonderful. Um, don't confuse things. We're not home yet. And secondly, disentangle yourself and serve well. Caught up in the thorns and the distractions, uh, half-hearted service, that's entanglement. Um, don't, don't, don't remain there. Move on from there. Because we serve a worthy master who's, wor- who's worthy of loyal, full-hearted, undistracted obedience wherever it is 
He's placed you or wants you to go. So because we are soldiers, we should take gospel risks and consciously embrace the necessary privations. In other words, give stuff up to serve the Lord Jesus Christ well. And of course, that has much to do with living the gospel and sharing the gospel. So I hope that's helpful to you. I'm afraid, like I said before, I wake up most mornings a coward and I have to go through all this again to face the day like he would want me to. But we have a commander. We have a Lord. We are soldiers. We are in times of war. And this is the sane way to think about things. It's the biblical way. Good Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for this portion of your word. It's not a novel idea. It's how Jesus lived. It's how Paul lived. It's how Timothy lived. And we plead that you would help us understand how we should live in these times, to whom we should give our loyalty, and help us to live free of distractions that would make us lukewarm and distracted. We ask for your help. We ask for grace. In Jesus' name, amen.